Morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Some of you, thanks for still being here. We just finished a, a week-long retreat, which we called the Resilient Heart, about the nature of mind, the nature of vow, the nature of uh, inquiry. And very fortunately, we have <clears throat> the Venerable Eduardo Zambrano, who is a certified facilitator with Byron Katie's Institute. And in his spare time, he's a professor of economics at Cal Poly. It's the other way around. <laughs> so um, the, the exciting thing, Eduardo, is we have people who just walked in this morning and people who've been here for decades. So you have to talk to both of those groups at the same time. Okay, so I'm going to let Eduardo do whatever Eduardo does. Thank you, everyone, for being here. My guy like, likes to use the timer. I was given a budget, so I'm going to keep track of my budget. <clears throat> he knows the he knows the the meaning of a second, which which I don't. So I'm. This this is a loose budget. Yeah. Thank you. Oh yeah. Okay, so first welcome everyone who's stepping in here for the first time. And um, so I'd like to use my loose budget to tell you what we've been doing more or less in the last few days. And, uh, and as uh, in the, the Zen tradition where we don't talk as much, as much about things as we actually have a taste, to perhaps give you a taste. Uh, so the theme for the workshop was uh, the heart's resilience. So we define resilience as when things get rough, can I continue to function through the difficulty? So there's kind of several aspects to resilience. And for me, that's one aspect. The second aspect of resilience is if I get knocked down, can I get up again? Uh, so the quality of being able to bounce back, you know, uh, so, and then the third part is, can I fearlessly look within into the cost of what triggered me, what made me suffer, what was the, the internal difficulty? So there's these three things, you know, being able to continue to function through the burn, being able to bounce back if, if there is a fall, if and when, uh, and then being able to fearlessly look at what might be that I don't want to see. So we've been paying attention to all of that through this week by doing fundamentally uh, three things. And uh, Hogan will talk about the third one, about vows. And I'll speak quickly about meditation and inquiry. So meditation, uh, the cultivation of loving awareness, uh, involves uh, three skills, attentional skills that we put, uh, that we can direct. Cultivation of concentration, you know, our ability to just say we're going, you know, attention is... I want my attention to go there, and therefore it kind of stays there. It's like puppy, sit, and then the puppy sits, you know. And so training a puppy very gently, puppy gets distracted, and then we go puppy, sit, puppy, sit, good dog. You know, it's like you give the dog a treat, and so for us it's like, yeah, awareness is alive, it notice distraction, 
came back to what we're paying attention, as Kisei say, our object of attention, we celebrate. It's very important to celebrate. You know, it's like, yay, I'm with the program. And so sensory clarity, you know, it's like I'm, what, I'm, what I am paying attention to, like, what is it? And uh, if it's your body sensation, what does it feel like? Is it tingling? Is it burning? Is it moving? Is it spreading? Is it contracting? Is it the same? Be open. You know what? So concentration, sensory clarity, and then equanimity. So our ability to stay with whatever might be there without push and pull. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? So we've been paying attention to all of these aspects of, of mind, uh, the ability for mind to, to function in these ways. Uh, so the Zen tradition has any number of practices that are used for cultivating concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity, and that's basically what we've been doing here in Zazen this morning. Um, cultivating attentional uh, stability is wonderful. It, it's calming, and it's, it feels good to be calm, and, uh, but that's not the only reason why we cultivate it. We cultivate... Uh, uh, attention and stability because we can use that attention and stability to understand the nature of mind, basically how the mind works. And uh, so after we become adept at sitting in our object of attention for a while, you know, it's like if I'm paying attention on my breath, attention stays on the breath for a while. Or if I'm paying attention to my body, attention stays on the body for a while. We can also Use our, uh, we can also cultivate attentional stability by paying attention to wholesome uh, states of mind and emotions like loving kindness and compassion. So your object of attention can be loving kindness and compassion. This week we have been using as our object of attention how the mind works. So that's a bit kind of like strange because it's like, well, how does one understand how the minds work using the mind? And, uh, and so fortunately, uh, my teacher and friend, uh, Byron Katie, developed a method that is very simple that anyone can use for using the mind as an object of attention in meditation practice. And so the way, uh, and in particular, how the mind works. So that's kind of what we're going to uh, put as our object of attention. And if the mind gets distracted from that process, because it can be you know, sometimes intense or disorienting, we just gently, you know, bring it back the mind to, to this process. This process is called the work, and it's, uh, it's fundamentally uh, uh, born out of the understanding that when we think thoughts that are stressful, we suffer, and when we're not thinking about it, we kind of suffer less. So we pay attention to the stressful thought, I say, ow, and when we are not thinking about it, there's less owie. So just noticing that is an education in how the mind works. So that is the object of attention, that understanding, the repeating understanding of internal cause and effect. So how we do this is identifying a stressful thought and then using four simple questions to question that thought. And then seeing if, if was there something that I was missing from the big picture out of that, uh, in, in that situation. And so I'm well within my budget. And uh, so I, I would like to, um, to, 
to, to show you how this works. And, and, and Kenyo uh, has volunteered to help us out in our little internal journey. So I have a concept uh, that is sometimes stressful for me, and I'm going to look into it. And so that's going to be what I'm going to put my concentration into. Uh, my concept is I need you to like me. Okay, and so I'm going to direct it to Kenyo uh, uh, in the first person because I actually do sometimes look at Kenyo and I'm like, wow, I really want to get to know him, you know. And um, so that's my concept. And now I'm going to look into the effects of believing this concept. Okay, so to give you a preview as to where we're going, so we're just going to look into what happens in my world when I believe that thought. And who would I be without that thought? And what is it that I might be missing about a world that where my fixation is on I need you to like me, okay? And then I'll, we'll just see what we learn from the experience. So this is looking at how the mind works as the object of attention in meditation. Um, hi, Kenya. So my concept is, I, I need you to like me. And Kenyo has uh, something in his hand that is called the, the yellow card that has four questions. And, and they're going to be, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react when you believe this thought? What happens? And then who would you be without this thought? So just follow along. And if you have ever had someone that you needed them to like you, I invite you to listen to the questions as if they are actually being asked directly to you, okay? Uh, maybe you even had the thought that you needed Kenya to like you, you know? <laughs> okay, thank you. Go ahead. You need me to like you, Eduardo. Is that true? So I'm going to skip question two because he answered no to question one. How do you react? What happens when you believe the thought that you need me to like you? So when I believe that thought, um, I, I feel insecure. Um, I begin wondering, do, does he like me? Uh, my heart begins to palpate and race, and uh, and I and I basically stop paying attention to my surroundings. I I feel very contracted. I start finding the reasons why you might not like me, maybe because I'm older, or because I'm Hispanic. Um, and there's a loneliness. And it doesn't even occur to me to ponder that you actually might like, you, might, might like me. So I'm disconnected from what might be there. So loneliness is the main effect I notice. Yeah. And who would you be without the thought that you need me to like you? 
So same situation, just without that thought. I just saw flashes of uh, appreciation that you showed towards me earlier today. And you said, thank you for coming, my friend. Um, so the loneliness is, is gone. There's like a gratitude that it's there instead. Mm-hmm. Turn the thought around. You need me to like you. So I'm going to look into opposites. Is there an opposite to, um, so I need, can you to like me? And so one could be, I don't need you to like me. And how that can be is true or truer as well. I don't need you to like me any more than you already do. You have in your own ways, even though we were in a silent retreat, it's not that he could just go and hey, hey, let's go for a walk and talk a lot. So I could just, <laughs> without a thought, it doesn't occur to me as I need and I, um, I feel more connected with you, yeah. So that's an example of I don't need, uh, that I don't need you to like me. Um, and you're my facilitator. Is there something I might be missing? Do you see anything? Examples? Yeah. Of how I don't need you to like me. You seem okay, whether I like you or not. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's the example. Uh, yes. I actually feel pretty good right now, you know, and... Uh, I feel very connected, and I'm not bleeding, you know, so, you know, and it's nothing is breaking the parts, and um, the taste of my saliva tastes tastes pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I feel warm and safe and stable, you know, like, there's cushion and support. Roshi support, stable. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so thank you. And let's go to another, continue, turn around. Do you see another turnaround? So I'm looking for other opposites. I need, so to the concept I need you to like me, so I'm going to go with, I need me to like me. How might that be true or truer? So, well, in the moment I believe I need you to like me, there's that loneliness, loneliness that sets in, and, and I need me to like me, uh, understand that 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 really didn't have anything to do with you, that you can't possibly be the cause of that because, well, you are there living your life and whether I'm thinking these things or not, that's not something that you actually did cause. So I need me to like me. What's an example in that moment? Just just have compassion that I might feel that out of nowhere.
that I might open my heart and, 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 and think about what might be the best way to share an example of how to understand how the mind works and that I, I might like that I came up with this example. And that I, I can like that I can feel, you know, and that I am an experiencing something and, and it does, it's very rich and, and interesting. So I, I can like that too. Any other turnarounds? So one last opposite we look for is if I think I need him to like me, consider I need me to like him. So I need me to like you. How might that be true? In that moment, to not be afraid to look at you. Like I notice that when I believe that thought, it's like I turn away, I already think I've been rejected. So I need me to like you, uh, approach you, open my heart to you, um, and make a mental note of, uh, write him an email later. Maybe you guys can kind of deepen your connection. And, um, and, and, and not miss all of the wonderful things that you bring here in the way that you move your body through this space and, uh, and in how attentive you are to, to the community and what a good listener you are, in my experience. So I, that's, I can like that and feel very connected to you already, you know, before even our verbal conversation begins. Any other turnarounds? Mm, no. Thank you. Thank you, Kenya. So to end, um, so what you witnessed was me looking at how I react when I believe a thought, what world is shown to me. This can be cathartic, and catharsis is not its primary function. Its primary function is the cultivation of insight, repeatedly seeing internal cause and effect. You know, um, when you train the puppy to, uh, to sit, it's recommended that you train it in the bathroom and in the kitchen and upstairs and downstairs and train it in a secluded environment before you train the dog in the dog park. You have to train the dog everywhere. And so it is with this, we want to look at this repeatedly, repeatedly uh, uh, through as many lenses as we can. And it's easy to know when it's time to look, stress lets us know. I'm like, owie, oh, what was that about? Oh, I need to know what to say on the Dharma talk. I had that one before, and when I believe that thought, you know, I'm like, fantasy, 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 and it's like, oh, I've been like five minutes in Sashin, and I'm, I mean, I'm sitting, and I'm like, in a fantasy. So, practice cultivating concentration and attentional skills, just because it's yummy, and practice cultivating uh, concentration and attentional skills so that we know how suffering begins and ends in us, and then that we may offer that to the world as a living expression of the joy of you know, just being alive.
Yes. By the way, I'm over budget by three minutes. So um, um, my teacher, the person I learned this technique from, uh, Byron Katie, is coming uh, to Great Vows and Monastery uh, Sunday, March 29th, uh, from that time at 5 p.m. to Tuesday, March 31st at 5.30 p.m. And uh, she's the fiercest, kindest person I have ever met. And I hardly do invite you to look within using these simple techniques that even anyone can use. Yeah. It's going, that particular retreat is going to fill up. It's already happening. So should you be interested, please. Uh, Well, a quarter of the half is the people who live here. <laughs> but we only, we only have so many slots. So. What did you finish talking? Hmm? What did you finish talking? Oh. You said three things. Wow. Uh -oh. okay. And, and <clears throat> let me say one more thing before. Um, so, one of the things that is the, the result of this, apart from the cultivation of insight, is the intimacy. It makes me feel more connected to everyone and everything I do inquiry on. Like I already feel more connected with you. And thank you for being my mirror so that I get to learn that when I miss parts of the experience, then that's why I feel less wholesome and less connected. So for the last 15 years or more, we have done a retreat here called Life Vows. And just looking at the intention of our life, looking at the promises that we make to ourselves about how we'd like to evolve, what we'd like to bring forth, because each of us has the opportunity to bring forth something nobody else can. And so the premise of this particular retreat is your life is sacred. Your life is unique. Your life has something to offer that needs to be appreciated. So using this technique, using concentration, using meditation, to really become familiar with the heart's aspiration. Now when we're doing this, there are a couple of different levels that we have to look at. First off, it's really good to have intention in your life to say, I want to become a blah, blah, blah. I want to do a blah, 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 which is, you know, future. I want to aim my life towards becoming a whatever. Building a bridge, becoming a physician, becoming a social worker, being a parent of 12 children, you know, whatever the case may be. <clears throat> so that kind of clarity, we look at our, our history, we look at our background, we look at what we like to do, we look at what we can bring forth in the world. But there's a different and deeper level of vow, which is also part of the, the spiritual path. That is not separate. What I said first is not separate from the spiritual path. But the reality is we only exist in this moment. The reality is the future and past are just ideas. They're just thoughts. They're just, and if we're living about my life will be okay uh, when I get my vow and when I have, you know, 12 children, 
it misses the reality of this is where we're alive. So part of life vow is to actually know right where we stand and to see what's already incipient in that. In the timeless, which is a, a kind of a, we're not thinking past, present, and future. We're not thinking, you know, not counting the clock, watch, moment, seconds. In the timeless, which is the course this moment, past, present, and future are already here. And in the timeless, our vows are already manifest. Our vows are already manifest, maybe not in the completed way that our mind thinks, oh, it will look this way, it will look that way. But the very fact that who we are right here, right now, is a manifestation of a deep, profound vow. And you could say that this manifestation is a profound vow of the universe. Because we didn't. Our little rational mind didn't show up like this. Here we are. How'd that happen? It's a mystery. All these thoughts that come, where did they come from? When my parents are born, who was I? So one other very vital way of looking at vow is you are right now the manifestation of your own vow. And of course, given the thing, the way things happen, we will morph. You know, like a computer screen, the computer screen is constantly morphing. It's constantly, the pixels are constantly morphing, and the computer screen doesn't stay, doesn't move at all. So in this moment, it's completely timeless, completely complete, and moment by moment, this vow is unfolding. And it's amazing. And we don't know where it's going to go. But to have a clear heart, a clear mind, to know how the mind works is definitely part of that. So the deep faith that we talk about in terms of spiritual practice is the faith that the universe did not make a mistake. The universe which managed somehow to keep I keep thinking of the Andromeda galaxy because there's this wonderful picture of, you know, a hundred million stars in the Andromeda galaxy, and they all occupy their own place. And and that universe that has a hundred billion stars somehow also has us. And so we are a vital, essential, necessary excrescence of the universe. We are the manifestation of the universe's vow. And let's do our best to cherish that, to bring it forward clearly. So the spiritual path, I feel, is based upon that deep faith and hopefully touching the the direct truth of it. And when we touch the direct truth of it, and we taste it, there is a confidence 
a a mystery. There is a coming forth that happens all by itself. And our number one job is simply to be in awe and to pay attention. Eduardo did a worksheet on me and he said, you know, I talk too much. So I apologize to all of you for getting carried away and talking too much. Wisdom does not reside any particular place. Wisdom does not reside up here. There is wisdom everywhere. And in a way, we all are equally endowed with this wisdom. So I'm interested in people's vows. Now, I apologize if I undercut by that little harangue what people were saying because everything people were saying in this, about their own vows is important and vital and it must be cherished. So I invite people to share some of the vows that they have clarified, come up with, revealed, rediscovered about their, uh, their life. And um, where's the microphone? We have the Venerable Kenyo who's going to be leaping around like lightning to offer, <laughs> offer the microphone to anybody who would like to share. Now, here's the way the sharing goes. If you are talking from the heart, everybody benefits. If you're just talking for yourself, you know, I'd like to hear myself talk, we'll cut you off. <laughs> so I invite anyone and everyone to share from the heart your experience a vow, an intention, but reasonably succinctly. Okay? So let's just start off with Ken here and see what we come up with. Ken Silva, yes, that guy. I want to see what the universe is flowing through there, Ken. My vow. Is this on? Is that is a microphone on? My vow. Can we turn it up a little bit? Okay. Okay, got it. My vow is and has been for a while to be very, very present with what is right in front of me. When I do that, my senses are completely overloaded with the mat with the cushion and I find myself wrapping names and concepts around those in order to distance myself and um, not overwhelm myself and so I go between those two places Um, so a vow and a strategy vow and a strategy to prevent the vow from manifesting I, I stay between those two places, and my goal is just stay in that place where I'm not overwhelmed, and I can operate on a moment-by-moment basis. Thank you.
floor is open. Adriana? So my original vow, my life vow, is to continue farming and to build community through farming. My recent vow is to go deeper into this original vow. Thank you. Oh, we'll just give it to Beth. You know, I'm, I'm always interested to hear what she has to say. She's sitting right there. We never give the microphone to somebody who is not 100% capable and ready to do this. <laughs> so you stick it up next, close to your mouth and see what comes out. My, <clears throat> excuse me. My vow in this moment is to maintain awareness and work on my awareness around my expectations and do that with gentleness and kindness. Thank you. Actually, please, please say your name, just, just to get it out there. That, that was Beth, and this is Ken, and this is... My name is Karen, and I um, am a new vow. I vow to trust in the rightness and benevolence of the universe. Thank you. Okay. Charles is right behind you. My name is Charles. My vow is to learn to fully engage the universe despite my crippling fear of it. Thank you. My name is Sage. Uh, for the last two years or so, uh, my vow has been to avoid dishonesty, um, uh, never tell an intentional lie, and if I tell an unintentional lie, to go back and make every effort to correct it. And I'm consistently surprised at um, how much simpler life is when I avoid little, or when I don't save myself the little embarrassments, but I just admit to them right away. And, continue. Thank you. Integrity is always an advantage. So Nan, I would like you to expand a little bit. Talk about vow. Give us a little bit more than just your particular statement. All right. Um, I think the search for a vow is really um, exciting and confusing and important. And I think we begin searching for it long before we know that's what we're after. And I think there are many vows. You know, there are vows you make with and towards other people. There are vows that you make about what you're going to do. There's vows um, about how you will deal with difficult situations. But 
there's also, I think we're talking about more um, a primary overarching vow about the depth of our commitment to life and to the world around us and to the people that we love. Thank you, that's very nice. What is your primary overarching vow? Well, actually I have uh, one that's um, been put together today and it's new to me, but I like it a lot. And it's, um, I vow to save hearts and wade in muddy waters. Thank you. Now we have a little bit of time left and I would like to just allow this to be time for people who would like to speak their vow publicly to have it be heard. So please let's go around and just, as we started off, just say, say what's on your heart succinctly. I vow to believe that I have a positive contribution to make. Wonderful, thank you. I vow to grow wild with wonder and give myself permission to let the animal of my body love what it loves. Thank you. That was Doug and Rosie. My name is Claire. I vow to see the sacred in the moment. Thank you. You, you can say something if you want, Johannes, but you don't have, it's, this, is not, this is not passed down the line. This is raise your hand and say, I'd like to be witnessed. The Venerable Rokai. My vow, which I just made, is to do what's in front of me with full attention and to help when I can. Yeah, give it to Anshin. He's a person of vow. I vow to appreciate this life. Thank you. My name is Sun Shin. My vow is heal. Okay, thank you. Anybody else in this side over here? Got yeah, please. My name is Madison. What's your, um, what's your name? Madison. Thank you. A vow that I connected to more today was to allow myself to feel and sink into the blessings I'm aware of and explore how I feel and I don't take it too seriously and allow myself to feel joy and playfulness around it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being brave. And we have the birthday boy, birthday Bob. <laughs> My name is John. I vow oh, right. to... That's close, but not right. <laughs> what's, what's that? <clears throat> I said birthday Bob, but that was close, but not oh, right. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you're very close. You got, got the right vowel, three-letter word. Right, let me start over. <laughs> um, I, I'm John, and I, I vow to be present with and celebrate each being. Thank you, John. I think Bob had his hand up also, that's. Yes, I'm still Bob. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I my vow is to bloom where planted and let go of my own personal suffering. 
as I liberate all obstructions. Yay, whoopee, Buddha. That is unequivocally Bob. Yeah, oh, Shokan had his hand up. And then we'll go to Kisei. She can wrap the whole thing up. And then Eduardo and I will say a last word. My name's Shokan. I live here. And the second vow that I was too afraid to share this morning, that's probably a pretty good sign that there's something juicy there, is that I vow to ordain. Mm. <clears throat> My impression is people are in accord with that vow. <laughs> so, Kisei. Pull it all together in a couple paragraphs for us, the whole week. I, I like this definition of meditation, and I would welcome you all to take it home with you. Meditation is awareness. So we can practice it 24 hours a day. And it doesn't mean that we need to make it to the zendo or, um, you know, set the time aside, although that is really helpful to ground in present moment experience by taking up this ritual of seated meditation and sangha, which is what we call community in Buddhism, is so helpful, so helpful, especially for maintaining our vows. So I recommend for all of you who were here at the retreat, take your card, put it somewhere where you can see it every day. And for those of you who are joining us just for today and have touched a vow in your own heart, write it down. Write it down so that you can remind yourself that you're living it. Because so many of us, once we spoke the, the vows out loud, were asked, well, how are you living this? And it was like, oh yes, I've been living this either my whole life, some taste of it, or for many, many years before it became something that I could speak. So it's, it's important to remember that we're living it and then to continue watering it in such little simple ways. It doesn't have to be big and um, life-changing right away because the small things actually are life-changing those small actions, um, those small, even like we're, we've been doing this beautiful, beautiful practice called the work and it's noticing thought and then turning it around. And that simple turning around of something that we believed so deeply and seeing that the other side is equally true or truer, that changes your life. Something that was so fixed no longer has the same grab. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. Lastly, I want to thank Eduardo for showing up here again for the third time. You know, some of us are like furniture around here, but <laughs> he's, a, he's a special guest and he really took time out from his, his avocation to come here and do this. And I really very much appreciate it. And, and I thank Cal Poly for letting you go. <laughs> so. So thanks for being here.